Let's talk about databases. How, how do these things keep coming up? Well, they're useful, aren't they? I mean, you're writing an app. You got to put the data somewhere. File systems are so 1970s. Let's do databases. Databases. Now, we've talked about databases on the podcast before, but our good friend Gary, who we've talked about on this podcast before, wrote us in with a glorious, super long email that we're not going to read, but it it had me thinking about that normal normally we think about databases it's easy like we're using like a NoSQL solution or a sql solution and we normally think about the server stuff and when we come to mobile or desktop applications it seems as though there's a lot of different options that are out there all of them do something a little bit different and what i mean by that is that you got the you know the SQLite under they got the SQLite under the hood, right? The raw, but yeah. Then there's stuff on top of it. You got the the light DBs. You got the SQLite. You got the SQLite dash nets. You got the ADO stuff. You got the this thing and the that thing. And some are using SQLite and some are using their own things as well. And that could be kind of a confusing, um, you know, wilderness out there, wilderness of databases, if you will. And yeah. maybe we could demystif- demystify that. Yeah, we took a shot at it when we were first talking about, I, I had a question, I think, for you was, uh, what what are your favorite ORMs? Yes. Because all throughout my career, it feels like I'm always kind of picking and choosing ORMs. I have my own ORM. Um, I still write them for some reason. I think it's a little plague that goes on in the back of my head. I, But it all comes down for me, um, serialization is one of the big problems in programming. It's an, a little annoying because although databases are taught in school, they're often taught separate from the programming language. So they'll teach you this amazing programming language like C <laughs> or C with objects or Java or Python or C sharp. Who knows what you're taught in school? But teachers love to give like trivial data input problems like uh, use read line and have someone type in their name or their date of birth or something and then write some of that data to a file. That's all nice when you're first learning to program and you're learning those basics, but basically none of that applies to the real world. <laughs> like All of that is very unsafe code to be writing in a real app. And the truth is most programming languages don't give you any good serialization support. They used to. It used to be a feature of programming languages. But these days, the the programming language people are like, we're not touching that. You want data? Use a database or figure it out on your own. And I think that that's kind of the root cause of the problem is just the programming language people have really just punted on this one. They're like, data, good luck. Good luck with that. Well, and and it's hard when you're in control of the data, right? I think that's another thing that I've realized. I've gone through you know, different mechanisms of my monkey cache library, which my favorite is just writing files to the disk. That seems to work just great. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, granted, you know what a database is, Frank? It, it's often represented as files on a <laughs> on disk, disk, James. I see where you're going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's different information in there and they're, they're all a little bit different, but you know, th- there's that, there's that aspect of it. Um, but I've gone through, you know, preferences, secure storage, like different store. I store a lot of different information in a lot of different places. Not everything needs to go into a database. However, you know, when you are going through an abstraction or you're just using an API and when something goes awry, you're like, well, it must be 
over here. Well, iOS updated and then this thing stopped working. Are you sure it stopped working or did someone go do something? You know, did someone clear the data? Now you're, you know, so when you are a library creator, a language creator, it, it then becomes, it is your responsibility for the data, which is why I hate, by the way, my in-app billing plugin. I love it. And I hate it because now I made it for myself and I knew people were going to use it, but now I'm just like, I'm somehow in between you and money. And that makes me very uncomfortable. Oh yeah. I, any of those, like, uh, I remember in open source, people would be selling, um, open source storefronts and they're like, here's some PHP code. Just put in your credit card authorization code here and we're all set to go. And we have a storefront and I'm just like, I don't know like, how much can you trust anything these days? But well, you have to trust at some level, I guess. Um, so I, I made fun of saving things to files earlier, not because the file system itself is unreliable, but generally the way that we access it as lazy programmers is unreliable. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are definitely provisions in file systems, like file system support locks. Like you can you can have write only locks on a file. That way you can make sure or you know read only whatever. You have all these locks. You can do all that stuff. So SQLite databases are nice because they're generally written by good engineers who know how to talk to the file system properly and can pull off all that synchronization stuff. Broadly speaking, I think we've brought this up a million times. The big reason not to use the file system for data storage is corruption of mm. that data. If your process ends while you're in the middle of writing, you're going to have a half-written half file. Tricks around that are um, <clears throat> whenever you're going to write a file, write it to a temporary file first. And then just switch the file name at the very end, like do a quick move or a, even a copy. But even a copy is bad. You just want to do that little file name trick or use a database. <laughs> Those are kind of your options. Yeah. And and I think I think the thing is when you start to get any data that starts to become a little bit more complex, that's not a cache, right? I think caches, when I think of monkey cache, the reason cache is in the name is because it's a cache. It should be okay if your data is corrupt and it goes away and something happens because it's a cache. Your application should be able to work without a cache. That's literally the name of it. Where database is like, hey, I have this data and I really want it to be around for prolonged amounts of time. In fact, maybe years, maybe decades of time, you know, and and that should continue to work. And, and the underlying system that I think is so important of how a lot of databases work is SQLite, which is it's which is provided by the operating systems. Is that correct, Frank? Yeah, it wasn't written by any of the major platform people out there. It's written by these two insane hackers that are awesome, smart people, but they're in full control of it. The cool thing is it's released under a very permissive license, and that's why you're seeing all the big platforms out there adopt it. Microsoft has had uh, SQL Express. Have you ever used that one? I think a long time ago. There was I used Com Compact SQL. I think yeah. that was one. I think it was Windows Phone back in the day. I wasn't sure if they're related, or the uh, same name different. for the same product or what. But uh, that was trying to take parts of the big SQL engine, this thing that was meant to run on big servers, and trying to get those so that they could run in more of the app world. The beautiful thing about SQLite is it scales from the app up to 
somewhat up to the server. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't know even know if it supports like the advanced server things like uh, replication is usually the big one that you want on a server. So you can have 10 computers hosting this one database. Um, not sure if it does that, but you know, it's so it's so feature rich at this point. It just might. It just may. I mean, it it there's a lot to it. I mean, the whole thing with SQLite is it's a C language library. That's the base fundamental underneath, right? And the the cool parts about it are that you're right. It's it's um complete stable. It's been around for a long time. Cross platform, backwards compatible. And by the way, I love that on the website they said that the developer that the developers pledged to keep it that way through at least the year 2050. So you got like you got a good another 30 <laughs> years out of this database. But it's also completely open source in public domain. It is free to everyone to for everyone to use for any purpose. That's what it says. And and I think that's that that is really big and momentous on just SQLite itself. Um, however, like I've never used SQLite directly itself. We've already just said like four names yeah. that all are like SQLite okay. things. So yeah, the problem is we all are very unoriginal with names, especially me. I take uh, I take some credit for having one of the worst named open source libraries out there. So <laughs> we'll try to break this down. So SQLite is a library of code that acts as a database engine. It has many levels of abstraction, so the database can be hosted in memory, it can be hosted on the file system, but in the end, it is a proprietary C API, so very simple function calls kind of interface for talking to the database. Now, I actually coded it in that fashion. When I very first started out in iOS programming, I was writing in Objective-C and I wanted a database. So I used SQLite and so I used the C interface to it. And that's why I'll never do that ever again. Ever. <laughs> it doesn't sound like fun at all, by the way. So It's not bad, but when you're coming from a world, where was I coming from? I was coming from like VB and JavaScript where uh, you had ADO in Visual Basic, where you could just say database connect. You give it this mysterious connection string. But after that, it's a database and you run commands against it. Compared to that, the C interface is a bit is a bit nastier. <laughs> I, I don't want to say that too bad, though, because the reason it's so popular is that their API is easy to consume. So I would say it's just more intimidating than anything else. It's not so much that it's bad. It's just definitely intimidating and definitely, um, you know, classic C needlessly complex. Every statement can fail. So you have to put an if statement after every statement. So your code just starts to, you know, get a little bit ugly. Yeah. And the very first times that I ever used the SQLite was that there were sort of SQLite things for Windows Phone. And then I ended up using SQLite-Net. And these are both ORMs, or Object Relational Mappers. Is that correct? ORM? Yep. Object on Relational top, Mapper. Yep. On top of it, that 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 took the complexities of what you were just talking about and turned it into, for me, a, a C-sharpified, beautiful API that could give me that sort of ADO feel in a way. Uh, I, could, I could create a connection to the database, you know, pass it, I would pass it instead of passing a bunch of things, I would pass it, um, a file name. 
to, to basically that's where you I want the file to live. And it would just figure out the the quirks or how to implement SQLite um, for me for, you know, and make those calls and do those things automatically. Um, and that was something that I really lived with because I had the other option too, which is um, early on, I, I felt like there weren't a lot of options on mobile. It was mostly use the the SQL light stuff. If there is a SQL compact or something, try to figure out how to use that for one platform. And then when it came to Xamarin, at least it was use SQLite-net, which is your implementation of the ORM, or use the Mono Data SQL. Is that what Mono Data SQL? SQL Light. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Uh, it, it's funny. So just a little history. Mono Data SQL Light did not work on mobile in the very beginning, and that's why I created my ORM because we just had no data access layer at all. And because I had spent the previous year writing a bunch of Objective-C code to talk to SQLite, I just happened to know how to do it. It was easy for me. And so that's how I ended up writing that library. But so there are kind of two problems an ORM has to solve. One is provide a nice programmatic API so that It's really easy to put data into the database, change things around, query the database, get database out of it. But on the flip side to that, people also want performance. Perf, 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 perf. And uh, the way to get SQLite to be fast and the way to get SQLite to be multi-threaded has just changed over the years. Like the recommendations have swerved all over the place as features are added, as the platform versions are increased, as people's um, preference for how to access the data. Like when I first wrote the ORM, async didn't exist in .NET. It's not that I hadn't had time to implement it. It just hadn't been invented yet so you know it's just it didn't have that feature for a long time and but nowadays people expect async and they expect async to be kind of the fast version oddly enough yeah which and and not necessarily i don't know if that's true in no a way is it i well, okay, what I yeah, find yeah. what I find is no one wants to use the synchronous API mm-hmm. anymore. Everyone wants to use the asynchronous because it's generally the recommendation Microsoft gives for building user interface applications. Whenever your something changes in your data model, kick off an async task to do everything else. Uh, it's just different <laughs> from how we used to write apps, and I think. So not so much that it, it should be faster or anything than the synchronous version, but it should be at least as fast or you shouldn't have a performance penalty for it, I guess yeah, is that what makes, I should have said. That makes sense. That makes sense. And then there could be a lot of things that it can do and, and you can do as a developer, like grouping and doing things in multiple, you know, in the single transaction and, you know, just ensuring that the things are happening there. But that's a good point is that for me, it was always about the simplicity of the API because that's what I like. You know, I had messed around with the mono um, data SQLite, which is an, an ADO.net ORM around it. So they're actually very different, even though I'm, I believe that they both just sit on top of SQLite itself, but they have a different interface. They're different ORMs, which is something to think about at the end of the, the day of what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and I don't really think that the, the mono data SQLite ever took into consideration the async stuff 
from my understanding. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to say exactly because I don't know that code base inside and out. But I will say definitely in the past um, when we're implementing ADO stuff for other databases, definitely thought about things like connection pools because those would be really important in server scenarios. Uh, you can't open a new TCP connection to a database server for every request because you'll just run out of operating system resources immediately. So you'd always have some kind of pooling connection concept, but none of that was required by ADO. And in case we keep saying ADO, I don't even know what ADO stands for. Access data objects, abstract data objects. It's just an API that Microsoft established, a generic API for talking to a database. And that's what's kind of cool about it is you can theoretically talk to any database through it, but your queries will probably have to change a little bit. Is it is not the ActiveX data objects, is it? <laughs> oh God, it, it might be. It might, it's old enough that it might actually, because I keep saying ADO, but I should be saying ADO.net. Yes, that's very different. Because that's yeah. the new version of it. Yeah, so it is ActiveX data objects. Whoa. Oh, the past is catching up with us. <laughs> and and here's, here's what's really important to think about too. And I really like that on the SQLite, um, the SQLite website, they really spell out something that's very important because if you're a server person coming over to mobile or to desktop, you have to remember that SQLite itself is embedded, right? It's not client server. It's not supposed to be, right? When you think about SQL database engines like SQL Server, Postgres, uh, QL, MySQL, or Oracle, or other things like that, you know, those are, like you were talking about, they could be distributed, a bunch of other things. SQLite is not intended to be the same thing as that. It's inherently serverless. You know, it's embedded into mm -hmm. the application uh, and it's for just that application and that's it. You know, it's, 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 it's weird to me because often I would think about a database th that I would be calling would be like, I have my, I have a, a desktop application or something, right? And I'm creating a connection to a physical database that is somewhere else on <laughs> on the network, right? Somewhere else on the network. It's like never on my machine. Usually it's like, it's somewhere else, but like inherently this, it's the SQL engine running inside of your app. Like the connection that it's making is like to the, to the disc. It's like, it's local. <laughs> it's all there, right? It's, it's, you, you kind of have to remember that in, in a way, I think when you come to programming this, that it is very inherently different than, um, those normal client server database engines. It's it's very different, and that has impacts in how you use it. Uh, the best example, there is this problem when you have ORMs, when you're trying to talk between an object model, like an object-oriented programming language like C-sharp, and you're trying to talk to a relational model, like a database. There is this common problem that comes up called the uh, N plus 1 query problem. So it's kind of your join. I don't want all the items from this table. I want all the items related through this table. And so you would come up with a join. If you're used to writing SQL, you would do a join. Or if you're lazy at SQL, you would do a multi-table and you would do a where and you would do the join on the where clause. That's what I always do because I can never remember the stupid join syntax. And most database engines are smart enough to optimize that. However, that's a trick that came out of the distributed database world. 
that n plus one problem. The problem is I can't just do one query. I have to do one query to find out how many objects you get, and then I have to do n more queries. So that's why it's called the n plus one problem, because you end up doing n plus one queries. That is really bad in a distributed database world because you have latency. Mm. Every time I want to talk to that database, uh, there is a delay. You also have bandwidth. However, networks are usually fast. Your bandwidth is usually really high, but your latency is terrible. And so this N plus one, your latency is your latency times N plus one. On embedded systems where this database is almost always running memory mapped files off the disk, you don't have that latency, or at least that latency is one millionth of what it is on a network. Uh, yeah, literally a millionth of what it is on the network. And so you don't have to worry about the N plus one problem. And it sometimes frustrates me a little bit because um, SQLite-NET does not have good join support. For 10 years, I've been meaning to add good join support to it, but it doesn't have it. But at the same time, it doesn't need it. Like mm. that style of querying is not needed in the embedded world. But people are just so accustomed to it from the server world that they think that they're being bad coders. But really, you got you to gotta, gotta think about your environment and how performance actually functions in that environment. Yeah, I remember joins always kind of confused me just in life in general uh, when it came to databases. So I remember with my meetup manager app, which heaven forbid someone's all running that somewhere. But I had, I had I'd kept adding tables because I you know, was adding new features. And, um, what I ended up doing, right. Is like, I would query an event and then I had another table that I just had a, you know, you know, an event ID that was on, on that object. And instead of doing some magical join, I would just do two different queries. I would say, well, give me, give me all the information about this event. And then, okay, on this other table, like go get me this other thing. And like, I'll then create the data based off these, like, if loops inside this thing, I'll go, I'll go figure it out. Right. It, it was and merge them into my, my higher level object. That's not in the database. It's doing other stuff that's in my view model and whatnot. Um, and that, that seemed to be just fine. I literally had no issues at all. It wasn't the cleanest looking code. And I think you're right is like, Oh, I want my code to look clean, but it totally worked just fine. Yeah. And the, the trick with databases is because you have this problem of you can either put stuff in the query or you can put it into your code is you don't really know which one to put it into because they're both kind of the right answer, especially in the world of SQLite where you're not paying that latency cost. So it's whatever you prefer. Me, whenever I was in large groups, and we, we always had the database person in the group. And in this case, I'm not using it as a compliment. I'm using it as they wrote stored procedures. They wrote complicated loops. They used cursors. Anyone who does database work and uses cursors is either a database professional or they are prematurely optimizing everything. Oh, oh, <laughs> so, oh on cursors, by the way, that is literally how nearly everything low level on Android works is everything. Uh, everything has a cursor. You want to iterate through the the it's they're all like, um, man, what are they called? I haven't used them forever because they're so complicated. Like, let's say you want to query the the contacts you have to like go through like this and the cursor and this, and you're like, oh, my, oh, my, my head, my head just hurts thinking about it in general. It's terrible. So they took the worst feature of relational databases and put that all throughout the UI layer oh, or I mean, the fundamental layer. 
it's a fundamental layer of how things, but like the thing is, if you implement it correct, it, 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 they, they did the cursors to allow cross app communication to query things and, mm-hmm. and enable you, if you had a bunch of data in your app, you could use this, this whole database query model. So it was very standardized. Like this is the, you know, bare bones level of how you do it across app and then you you do this query and you get this cursor back and you iterate through it. But if you do it correct and if you understand it, it can be like the most highly performant, craziest thing ever. The problem is like, I don't know, it's so complicated that I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to do it. Yeah. It sounds like, um, if I enumerable was I async enumerable and I async enumerable worked across processes. That's kind of what it's sounding like to me from over here. Uh, yeah, uh, tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to implement that stuff. Um, and I think that's why people tend to use these higher level libraries, because honestly, life's too short to deal with that kind of stuff. I just have some data I want to pop in here and be able to query it easily. And my preference is still a little bit towards relational databases. I feel like I'm showing my age a little bit here because certainly object databases or uh, key value stores are certainly useful. Mm-hmm. The thing that I like about uh, relational databases is I know exactly which columns are indexed. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm just a performance weirdo in my head, even though I'm always telling people not to prematurely optimize. I'm always prematurely optimizing. I want to know for a fact that there is an index on that column so that I can do that query efficiently and that's why i still tend to stick to this old school method yeah and I, i've used um light db before which is a very nice no sql solution it doesn't run on sql it has its own engine it has its own thing right and it has it it just works out of the box which is very nice um and, and it has a very nice sql light-esque vibe to it in, in a way but yeah i'm just more i've just always been relational data i don't know what it is i think because when i worked at canon we were writing a lot of SQL code and that's how I learned my first databases. And that's just what I've known and loved, at least coming from, from this world, uh, which is fascinating. The one thing that always tripped me, regardless of what ORM or database system I was using, was the threading parts of it along with async await, right? So you often have like a connection to the database. And for me, I'll be honest with you, I use the synchronous SQLite-net. I don't need the asynchronous stuff. I just put locks around everything, Frank. I just lock the world. <laughs> to me, I, because the very first time I used uh, the SQLite dash net in my applications, this was pre all the async away stuff and pre everything. And and I just, you know, to make sure I wasn't writing or doing multiple things to my my connection, I would just put a lock around it, lock an object. And dang it, it works. You know, um, it was fine. Is, is that okay? You know, it- it kind of is. Don't tell anyone I said that, but it kind of is. Here's the deal. Uh, if you want to keep the UI thread responsive, you have, what, 16 milliseconds to do your work. That's 1 60th of a second. If you're on an iPad Pro, you have uh, uh, 0.08, mm-hmm. whatever. You got less. <laughs> um, this database is running memory mapped files. Most of it's already hot in the cache chances are your query is going to take significantly less than one or two milliseconds and you're going to be fine. It's only when you try to pull out, you know, 30 columns, all that are strings, uh, 10,000 rows in a query. That's when you're going to start hitting your perf issues. I think we've always talked in the past, like, 
you have to design your UI so you're not presenting that much information to the user. It's not a good UI to show someone 10,000 rows. So like, just don't do that. And so you'll probably be fine. That's so true. Th- that, that's, that's my initial answer to you. Y- yeah, you're fine. But I have yeah. more, I promise. <laughs> yeah, I just sent you like basically a link to my monkey cache. And in every single method, it's just like lock DB. And then it's here's I run the query. And then I'm like, OK, and then go through the results and do this. All. You know, it's a very short lived lock. You don't have to lock everything, mm-hmm. but you, you just go through it and just make sure that that one database connection is uh, good to go. Um, but even beyond that, the one thing that I haven't ever thought about and that Gary brought up in this email was around uh, threading itself. So single thread, multi-threading, and then serialization models. And SQLite itself supports many of those things. I've never thought about it or or really thought about why I would need this mm-hmm. because I have the lock on it. So like if I was kicking off different th- threads, it should just be okay. I, I don't know. What do I have to be concerned about here, Frank? Well, let's start by saying um, you're locking is all to avoid not a multi-threading bug. Let me say this first. SQLite is thread safe. You do not have to do any locks anywhere. It will never corrupt data. It is good software written by smart people. What you are trying to avoid is the infamous database busy error. Mm. And yeah, so this is an error that you can get if you manage to... Uh, attempt to write to the database while you're actively reading it. There's a million other scenarios, but basically it's a read-write kind of conflict. And you will get this error back from the database called busy. (laughs) It's the the worst error. (laughs) Because when I first started running into this with SQL, when I started using it, I had no idea how to handle that error. Like, what are you supposed to do when you get a busy? What what do you think you're supposed to do? Uh, Well, if you're Biz, I mean, you should have, you should probably roll back whatever you were going to do and then try again. Yep. That's what you got to do. So think about that for literally every query in your code, you have to put a for loop with a try counter, with a try catch, looking for that error. It's ugly. No one wants to do that. So uh, there's a few tricks they put into SQLite. Uh, One is an automatic timeout. So you could say, wait for up to, I don't know, three seconds. If the database happens to be locked right now, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep trying for three seconds to uh, get the lock to that database. So I would say that's the very first thing you should look into if you're running into this infamous busy error that SQL I can give you. Just the default for that timer, I think, is a little bit random depending on which platform you're using it from. So you can always set the busy timeout to something more manageable like one second because like very few of your queries are ever going to take more than a few milliseconds so one second is plenty i like that that's a good pro tip from the frank krueger so so do i really need to think you said i don't really need to think about multi-threading in, in general i mean i guess if i have a single connection to the thing it should be okay i mean how, how do you normally in your application get access to your database do you have it as a single tin do you have you know is it a, you know, it's not a factory, right? You shouldn't have multiple connections to the database, correct? How, how does, how do you, Frank, structure your SQLite database? That's what I actually want to know. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's actually changed over time, but I'll, I'll start with kind of your last question there. 
if you're talking about a true connection to SQL Lite, no, you do not benefit from multiple connections to it. If these are true connections, if these are true opening SQLite, if these are somehow pooled, you know, there's shenanigans happening in the background, then think the rules are different. But fundamentally, that's that. When I first faced this busy error, as I was describing before, this is when I started doing exactly what you're doing, where I forced single-threaded access to the database through the use of a lock. Um, in C-sharp, you just use the lock statement. Mm-hmm. And those locks are very efficient in C sharp. So again, you're not you're not achieving any level of multi-threadedness here because there's a global lock. You're I mean you're specifically not multi-threaded at this point. Yeah. But what you're really doing is avoiding that annoying error that no one knows how to deal with because it's too hard to deal with that error. So that that's what you're achieving there, and that's where I started out also. Uh, so put these locks on everything. Uh, I often recommended the repository kind of pattern. So you don't really expose the public methods of your database, but you kind of put more, um, what do you call it, Mm domain-specific access methods on top of it. The problem is that that advice often doesn't... It's good advice, but people tend to follow it by creating a bunch of create hat, delete hat functions. And at that point, you might as well just expose the database because like, you're not really buying anything there. But th- that's where you're getting into the territory with the ORM. But anyway, <laughs> to start over, uh, that lock thing that you're talking about, that's a great place to be. Um, you're going to be very successful doing that. And I have been, Frank. For nine years. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I wish maybe I'll link to a few apps where in which I, which I use all of this, uh, different sorts of things. And, and you're right. The, when I worked at Canon, a lot of, a lot of is big architecture, right? So I learned a lot, but we, we did very similar things. Like we reused a repository pattern. We actually had an interface and then we implemented that interface and then used and used DI for it. I think that that's overkill because nowadays, for me, um, you know, I'm never swapping out my database um, uh, in general. And every time I add or remove something, I have to go in. It's just two places. It doesn't make any sense. The, the interface makes no yeah. sense in general for it. Um, and then, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's the common thing that people want to do, which is like get generic tier. You know, like I like to say, you know, get all RSVPs for this, you know, and then pass in an ID. Right? It's very very specific. So I can tune that specific method for, and that query and the transactions right for it, or it's like delete at, you know, X or whatever. Instead of just saying like delete, I would say delete blah, blah, blah. So I could fine tune it for the specific use case. And that's something that I've always done as well. I've had these very high level concepts of the thing I'm trying to do to the database, pass in the data and then I'll handle whatever the database is in the code behind because that does give me the way of technically swapping it out in the future. If I did want to change it to a different database, well, my view models or whatever, or whatever my my access layer, whoever's calling the, the database isn't calling the database directly. So I've always enjoyed that pattern, no matter what database I'm using. Yeah. Yeah, you're just protecting yourself, keeping the code clean, however you want to think of a clean uh, separation between layers. There's a lot of good reasons for the repository hiding the uh, database. That said, almost all of my repository patterns have like a public 
uh, database property on them as like Ooh. an escape hatch because, <laughs> you know, I know how databases work and I, I, I love software engineering. Let's let's do abstraction, yay, encapsulation, good. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to write an app here. And if I need to talk to the database, I need to talk to the database and get out when of you, my way. When you need to get to the database, Frank, you need to get to the database. I, I agree. I mean, it, <laughs> y- there, there's there's only so many best practices you can do in so little time. I mean, right. for, for, a lot, for a lot of this, some people will be like, oh, well, you're not thinking about unit testing and this and that. I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean... Sometimes I just got to ship an app at the end of the day and, and that's okay <laughs> if I don't test this method or do this thing. Uh, you know, that's a, that's the, the motto I've ever lived by, but I am technically in a nice place and so are you in which I am writing software for myself and you're writing software for not just yourself, but I mean, you're, you're for your living, right? You are, you're the boss. So you get to, you get to control that. Not everybody gets to control you know, the, your architecture at your company. So of course these are sort of James and Frank, what we like to do, but you know, I think these patterns at least can give you the flexibility to be as, as strenuent or relaxed as you prefer. Yeah. In my defense though, um, I am a huge critic and I'm a huge critic of my own code. So I'm trying to always have good code for future Frank to deal with so that future Frank isn't such a jerk all the time. You always want future you to be happy with present you that is a good yeah. <laughs> motto to live by and and that's that has has really helped me in, in past applications where i started with uh you know one type of ui pattern swap to another one it was super simple because it, it's again i just throw away this ui build this new ui my mvvmness depends on how much you're comfortable sort of tweaking a little bit of code. Right. And, and, you know, are you just going to be like, oh man, I just, I just wish it pass off just this little thing, but it's okay. It's going to take me an extra 10 minutes mm-hmm. compared to, oh, that's going to take me 10 days to do. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, uh, let's get back to, uh, we're, we're not done with multi-threaded in SQLite. Oh no, we have just scratched the surface. I'm ready. Hit me. <laughs> all right. So all that stuff I said about SQLite being thread safe is a lie. yeah i'm sorry at least it was a lie in the very early days in the very early days uh sqlite had modes and you could switch between single threaded mode and multi-threaded mode Mm. and the big difference there was internal locks or not you can imagine (laughs) accessing the single threaded mode of sqlite through multi-threads created lots of problems (laughs) so you know what a smart thing was was they decided to uh, make multi-threaded mode the default. <laughs> so that's why I'm saying it's not so much an issue these days because almost everyone is shipping the multi-threaded version of the library with multi-threading turned on by default. So that's nice. that. I just It occurred to me while we were talking that I forgot to mention that that didn't used to be the default. <laughs> the default was much worse back in the day. Gotcha. So then I'm um, trying to make this, uh, this lock thing is effective, but it's a little bit annoying to have to put lock in your code everywhere. Mm-hmm. So there is, in fact, another feature in SQLite, which is called serialized mode. And the idea here is that it's not going to give you that busy error anymore. It's going to do another lock, <laughs> different from the database lock, a different lock more like your lock, an application lock, so that it will never try to execute more than one SQL statement at a time. Therefore, you'll never get that read-write 
uh, busyness, and therefore your code will just continue on forever. So that's the serialized mode. And a lot of people don't use that mode, number, mostly because libraries don't expose it always and because it's kind of a new mode. But it's there, and it's good because it's basically doing what you're doing in code with your lock statements. Oh, that's kind of cool. That's nice to know. It's just sort of a... Yeah go off and be out there is yeah i can can i do that with sqlite-net or you do not expose that it's there it's there yeah um so in sqlite-net it would be a part of the constructor arguments that i oddly enough called the connection string <laughs> the names aren't perfect in that library <laughs> uh but there are sqlite options i think that's what it's called and one of them should be uh serialized or synchronized one of those words there's a small problem. You know, not, nothing's ever that easy in the world. There are conditions in serialized mode that will still return busy. And that's why I still don't generally recommend it to people. And that's why I don't use it as a default in SQLite-net. Because... I basically designed the library to never give you that busy <laughs> signal because I found it so frustrating as a new user that I don't want to expose people to it. But uh, So the probability of getting it is much lower, but still, theoretically, you should still technically handle it. And every single time you touch the database, you should have a catch for the busy exception. Hmm. But no one wants to write code like that. That's terrible code to write. So I don't promote this very much, but it's there. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point is is I remember I was using some other library before that it was more of a problem when you're synchronizing files and it's like, "Oh, and you should also every single time handle you know, a, a conflict between the server right. and the local. And, you know, and uh, every single call that I've ever made to this database. I mean, that's the right thing to do, but it's definitely not the thing I want to do. Um, right. So kind of funny, but yeah, it's uh, kind of can be a little complicated. The, the one last yeah. thing I want to talk about too, about SQLite, maybe you have more things, but I guess the one thing I wanted to talk about is, is that um, it also does support in some ways, encryption with like SQL Cipher and, and other ways too. I think sometimes people get a little concerned about, uh, well, is my data secure on the device? If it's just a file, right, on the disk, how is that going to work? Is it going to be secure? Well, most of the time, by the way, like your files that you put in the right places are going to be secure and your users aren't going to get to them. Uh, but there are like LightDB also supports like this, but then there are some other database like things out there like SQL Cipher that also support database encryption with a key. However, I have to imagine that I, I, I've never used them. I usually just do normal stuff because it's just app data to myself. Have you ever thought about the different encryptions in your application and your data? Yeah. Um, so for me personally, in my apps, whenever I have to put encrypted data down, it tends to be very small. It's like a password or an access token or something like that. So I tend to put those in the keychain. secure keychain, <laughs> the secure storage. I was trying to remember what Android called it. It's called secured storage on Windows. What's it called on Android? In essentials, we call it secure storage on, on Android. It's the key key store. Key store, right. Yeah. Okay. Key chains, key yeah, stores, that, secure storage, yeah. all the junk. 
But I will say that the encrypted version of SQLite, there's a product out there called SQLite Cipher, SQL Cipher. And that is not written by the SQLite people, but a third party. Fortunately, they have a free version of it that you can use called SQL Cipher. And I actually release a version of SQLite-net that accesses this. This is pretty cool. Uh, what you're protecting against is the device being compromised. So if someone steals your device, gets hardware access to it, they can get the files off of it. Uh, so now you want things to be encrypted. So this would be, if you're exposing bank information, probably anything personally identifiable would probably be validly put into one of these databases. Now, the weird thing is you actually have a lot of options here because .NET has really nice encryption stuff already built into it. So you can very plausibly um, maybe uh, store the database on disk encrypted. Then whenever you want to use it, read it from disk, unencrypted in memory, run the database in memory, and then whenever you want to save it, you could re-encrypt it, rewrite it to disk. Mm -hmm. So that is totally something you can write. And it's not even that bad in terms of lines of code. But it requires familiar, <clears throat> familiarity with uh, encryption and system.security and all that kind of stuff. And it does have that little scary mode of you're writing to disk only once, so you better have a backup system and all of the problems with the file system apply. So that's where a product like SQL Cipher steps in and it handles all that nasty low-level encryption stuff for you. So it's become very popular. It's one of the larger NuGet versions of SQLite-Net out there uh, are people using that version of it. But I wanted to put it out there that you're not forced into that. You know, bytes are bytes. <laughs> you can put them through any transformation you want. So you can write your own encryption or uh, use something like SQL Cipher. Yeah, I use my own... Um... I just, you know, encrypt like a string, put that in the database and then decrypt it like for server. Oh, you know, stop yeah. Do that. Yeah. Well, for passwords, that's kind of, yeah, that's definitely the recommended way to do it. That's clever too. The trick is you got to, you got to put the key somewhere as with everything. So with SQL Cypher, whenever you're opening the database connection, you have to give it a kind of a plain text key. So now you run into the problem, well, where do I store the key? <laughs> Obviously into keychain, but you know there, there's a little chicken and an egg happening uh, if you don't think through your encryption support completely. Fortunately, um, it really is kind of that simple. If you're out there and you are using SQLite, you might have noticed in the last version, 1.7, um, if you had created a database in 1.6 and tried to load it in 1.7, it gave you this nasty error, like cannot load database or database not found or something like that. The people who made SQL Cypher changed the Cypher algorithm. Mm. <laughs> like, talk about breaking changes. They just changed the default. So if I had created a, a database one way, I can't load it with the defaults now. I... I get really annoyed with people breaking APIs. Technically, they called it a version two. You know, they did all the semantic version BS. But at the same time, they and thus I broke a bunch of people's databases. So I would say 
Although I'm trying to make it a drop-in, easy thing to use, it still behooves you to learn a little bit about how encryption works and specifically how SQL Cipher works and all the parameters to their encryption algorithm because they've proven that they don't really care about backwards compatibility. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Databases, while they can be easy, can also be complicated so it's good to know yeah yeah well i i even i i left off one part i'm sorry i i just have to keep going with the multi-threaded stuff i know you were trying to move on to encryption but i left off one big part and it's really important okay so everything that we've been talking about up to now with the uh multi-threaded stuff was still just one time access to the database we weren't taking advantage of parallelism at all And you aren't doing that with all your locks everywhere. By definition, you can't have any parallelism. There is a new feature in SQLite, and by new, I mean like five years old, called uh, the wall, W-A-L, right ahead logging. Mm. And this is a very advanced feature from more of the server style uh, database engines out there. And this is what finally allows multiple writers, multiple readers to be accessing the database simultaneously. And that is a mode of operation that I do 100% support in SQLite-Net, especially if you're using the async API. So if you're using the async API and you do multiple reads, definitely multiple reads and potentially multiple writes can all happen simultaneously without your lock statements. So there are uh, performance benefits to be had. All that said, the memory system of the iPhone and the iPad is limited. So, you know, you'll only get what you get. But it's uh, it's still better, at least in my head, than uh, making everything single threaded, because at least it has the potential to be multi multitask, multi threaded. That's kind of cool, too. So if, yeah, you did have a crazy amounts of data that you were trying to figure out and trying to do and query, that might be a good mode for you. Yeah. Often my well, applications are not that complicated. Right. But you might just have that one big query and you don't want to stall the UI while that one big query is running. Mm. So that would be a good place for it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Anything else you want to talk about 50 minutes into SQLite? I I could go for another two days. I can talk about (laughs) SQLite all night, but I will let you and the wonderful listeners go. Yeah, I think also, you know, I'd definitely be interested to know what our listeners are using and write into the show, mergeconflict.fm. Like, what database have you used? Like, what are you finding successful? Do you use uh, LightDB? Do you use something else? Are you use SQLite-net? Are you using the ADO version? Are you using just Monkey Cache? It's not a database, by the way. It's a cache layer. <laughs> do not be confused. Like, every time there's a thing that's like, can I do this and this? Like, no, it's not a database. Go do, use a database, um, but you know <laughs> they let want me joins. Know, yeah, let me know what you're using because I'd be I'd be super interested. And and if you have more questions, we'll we'll try to try to answer them. We love our listeners. This was inspired by Gary, who wrote in before and uh, wrote in again. But we love getting uh, emails either directly in our inbox or just hit us up on Twitter uh, as well. Our e- our Twitters and our emails and our Discord are all on MergeConflict.fm. But yeah, uh, Frank, thank you so much for being the SQLite expert in the house i appreciate it i can't believe this is what my career has led me to but <laughs> thanks for letting me talk about sqlite because oddly it seems like i can talk about it forever i never it's realized how, that it's, it's how we met frank it's how we met so <laughs> of course we can talk about it <laughs> yeah it's, it's we we literally sat uh during a, a xamarin meetup in bellevue for two hours talking about settings and sqlite so that was me frank <laughs> What nerds? 
Yes, that's <laughs> me and you. Best friends forever. All right, that's going to do it for this week's Merch Conflict. So until next week, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.